Turn to Acts 19. Acts 19 in your Bibles. I assume it's your Bibles because I don't know where you else you would turn to Acts 19 in. Uh, my preaching professor, this is not in my notes, it's just as you turn. My preaching professor hated those sorts of phrases, the non, uh, not nonsensical, but unnecessary phrases like, if you have your Bibles, turn to. Well, if you don't have your Bibles, you're not going to turn to, so leave out the if you have your Bibles part. It was those sorts of things. He, did, he hammered us if we said anything like that in our preaching classes. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts 19. Um, 19, 1 through 7. Now, I had this great, at least in my head, illustration of technological problems to open up the message with this morning. And then, uh, if we didn't have technological problems when we got to church this morning, uh, there is no Facebook Live going out this morning because all of our internet is kaputski. Uh, if you usually get on Wi-Fi to pull up your Bible and that kind of thing, you cannot this morning. You've got to use your own service uh, to get to that because our internet is not working. But I'll go ahead with my illustration because it worked better, at least in, in the way I planned it. We, at our home a few days ago, uh, or at least while I was working on my computer at the house, I lost internet on my, my laptop. It just didn't have it. Little thing down there said no internet connection. So I go through the normal things, right? I, first, I, I restarted my computer. That usually does it. It's usually the computer's fault. My, compu my laptop's five or six years old, so it regularly also goes kaputski. Um, that didn't work, so I, I backed up, and uh, I went, and I unplugged the router for 10 seconds like you're supposed to. And uh, stood back there as it unplugged, counted to 10, but I counted slowly just to make sure that I got 10 full seconds. Plugged it back in, went into the kitchen where the uh, computer was, and Still didn't work, so I go into the bedroom to, uh, or the office where our desktop is, and I'm going to get online uh, to get the uh, number for Suddenlink, thinking maybe it's our wireless router that's messed up, and the desktop is hardwired into, but as I sit down to get on the computer, I remember, oh wait, I've had to call them so much that my, their number's in my phone, I've got it saved tech support, so I'll have to, that's why I'm, I'm sitting there, and I, I start calling them, and I uh, hold the phone, I'm sitting in the chair, and I'm waiting for them, and I start messing with the computer just to see if I can figure anything out, and I notice the screen's not on, and then I notice that Etta's printer isn't on, and then I notice that there are no flashing lights, so I go to the bathroom that shares a wall with our office, and I push the little reset button on the GFCI outlet that's in that bathroom, and it trips it, and bring, everything works. Well, uh, once the power was restored, everything worked the way it was supposed to. It wasn't the problem wasn't with the internet, it wasn't with my computer, it was with the, the source of power. There was no electricity for whatever reason. I don't know why that outlet tripped. Usually it's because they get water in it or something, but there's nothing plugged into it, but it tripped. I did not have power going to the components that made life work. The Holy Spirit is the church's power source. It's our power source for justification, sanctification, evangelism, discipleship. And if we are not plugged into that power source, the various components that we are doing to try to make 
church work, make our spiritual lives work, make our regular lives, because there's no difference between our spiritual life and our regular life as believers. It's all spiritual life. If we're not plugged into the source, all those components won't work. And that's what we see here in Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 7, where Paul comes across these guys that had never heard of the Holy Spirit. Read with me those verses. Acts 19, 1 through 7. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions and came to Ephesus. He found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? No, they told him. We haven't even heard there is a Holy Spirit. Into what then were you baptized? He asked them. Into John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John baptized with a baptism. Paul said, John baptized with a baptism of repentance telling the people that they should believe in the one who would come after him, that is, in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the uh, Lord Jesus. When Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began to speak in other tongues and to, pro- to prophesy. Now there were about 12 men in all. So we talked about Apollos being in Corinth uh, last week, and while this was going on, while... Apollos, he was first in Ephesus, and he got his training from Priscilla and Aquila, and then he went across to Corinth. And apparently after he left, and at that time Paul was traveling through what it would have been the, the length of Turkey, the, uh, what it's called uh, upper regions or interior regions in our uh, tra- scriptures here. And then he came down to Ephesus. And uh, we have a similar situation with these disciples that we had with Apollos, but it, it works out differently this time. It, it doesn't, the same sequence of events do, doesn't occur, and we're going to see that as we work through it. We have three points this morning, and y'all are thinking, wow, only three points. Yeah, I know, usually it's like 12 with me, but this morning it's really just three, and it's all about spirit empowerment. It's spirit empowerment and, it's le- and how it leads to true conversion, spirit empowerment in Paul, and spirit empowerment in you. First, spirit empowerment when it comes to true conversion. We, we see it in verses 1 through 5. It, like I say, he was traveling, he came to Ephesus, and he found some disciples, it says, and, and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Paul was asking a, a, a uh, um, oh, there's a great word here that I can't come up with. He, he was asking a probing question. He was trying to find out some things. I don't know what Paul saw when he met these disciples. There's a lot of detail left out of here. How did he come across them? Were they in the synagogue? Were they just standing on the street corner preaching? Were they a part of a, a house church that had formed somewhere. What was, what was going on? How did he find these guys? But they were disciples of some sort. They, they were followers of someone. They were students of somebody. But he doesn't even say, Luke doesn't, doesn't even say who or what they were discipler, disciples or, or followers of students or, or students of. And he says, did you receive the Holy Spirit? It, it's, it, it, it's, it's almost like he's skeptical here. And, and going to him and saying, all right, guys, you, you're disciples, yeah, but 
tell me about your conversion experience. It's a great question to, to open up a gospel presentation with. If you're talking about spiritual things, and this is one of the, the things we uh, learn about in our three circles training, but really in any evangelism training, if you begin a discussion about spiritual things, and it might be just some random stuff, it, it, it might be you begin with talking about how you pray for people, who knows how it begins, and then, then they say, oh yeah, I believe that, and I pray, and I do, and, and, and a good beginner question, beginning question is to say, really, well, tell me about when you came to know Jesus. Tell me about your conversion experience. Paul says, did you receive the Holy Spirit? It's a very contextualized question because generally when the Holy Spirit came, it, it, as Luke records it, in the beginning of the church, it came with some signs. It was the Holy Spirit was proving himself to those around them, specifically when he came first to the disciples. He proved himself. We'll talk about this a little bit more. When he came to Cornelius's family, he proved himself through some signs because, wait a minute, this is a Gentile receiving the Holy Spirit? Whoa, it was impressive stuff. So uh, it, it, he, he, uh, the Holy Spirit, he did these things in order to show that he had shown up. And notice, since I'm stumbling over this, notice I'm using he for the Holy Spirit instead of it. The Holy Spirit's not a force, not a power. Not a, not, we, we talk about plugging into the power of the Holy Spirit, but it's not an it. It is a him. The first song we sang this morning, originally the song title and the lyrics are Send It On Down. That's bad theology. Send him on down is much, much better and more accurate. So Paul asked this probing question because Paul knows the Holy Spirit is evidence of your salvation. Knowing uh, that you have received the Holy Spirit. And, and whether there were uh, outward signs of a Holy Spirit indwelling you or not, the Holy Spirit, there are, there, let me say it a different way, whether there are ecstatic gifts that accompany the indwelling of the Holy Spirit or not, there are still evidences of Holy Spirit indwelling. The fruit of the Spirit. We were told over and over in the New Testament that we will know believers, we will know them by their fruits, we will produce fruit uh, if, if we are following the Holy Spirit. He will lead us to do these things and we see what the fruit of the Spirit is, and Paul apparently did not see something in their lives. So he says, have you received the Holy Spirit? And, and, and they said, we don't even know what the Holy Spirit is. Now let's take a, just a second here and talk about that empowerment is separate from indwelling. Paul is asking an indwelling question. Do you have the Holy Spirit? Is the Holy Spirit living in you. He's not asking has the Holy Spirit, have you done things through the power of the Holy Spirit that you can't explain. He's not asking for that filling. He's not asking for that empowerment. He's talking about an indwelling that we receive, as I said at the beginning of the service, that we receive the moment we believe, the moment we are saved, we are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. That is different from empowering. We, we will see that here in just a minute. Paul, to use a different analogy, or to use an analogy, Paul walks into these disciples, uh, the home of these disciples. 
and he's looking at this brand new house that's been built, and he sees all the finest appliances. The refrigerator has a screen and the internet on it, and it's, everything's electric, and everything's brand new. It's top of the line, and he's walking through the house and saying, wow, these are great appliances. Your electricity bill must be out of sight, and they go, what's electricity? That's the kind of question he's asking. He sees them as disciples. They say they're disciples. And, and he's, you don't even have the beginnings. You, you didn't even plug into the source. You don't have the indwelling. The indwelling is a one-time event. Empowerment is repeated. Empowerment is something that happens over and over and over. When you don't have the courage to share the gospel, the Holy Spirit empowers you. When you don't have the words to, to talk to someone, the Holy Spirit empowers you. When you don't think you are gifted for a particular task in the church, the Holy Spirit gifts you to, so that you can fulfill that task. That's repeated, and dwelling is once and for all done. And according to Acts, either one could come with visible proof. Both indwelling and empowerment could come with uh, visible proof. Proof Indwelling came with proof in Acts 2 when the disciples received the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost and they heard something like a wind and they saw something like a fire and they spat, uh, spoke with other languages and then the people uh, who were listening heard in their own language the Holy Spirit came and it had proof. But in Acts 4, uh, the, the disciples talk about they were praying and they, uh, the Holy Spirit, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts 4, verse 8, just so we can see it. Then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, rulers of the people and elders. Now, I would contend that that is actually proof of his empowerment because he spoke boldly. And it talks about that elsewhere. Verse 31, when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken, and they were filled, all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak the word of God boldly. There were proofs in that they were able to speak, but it's not the proofs we think of. We generally think in some church cultures of speaking in tongues, and that's not the case. So he asks them, did you receive the Holy Spirit? Ha has anything happened in your life that you can't say that was not me, that was God working in me. You got the appliances, do you have the electricity? And they said, we don't even know what electricity is. So, Apollos, if you remember last week, we said Apollos was post-resurrection, but pre-Pentecost. He was in the middle. He knew of Jesus, he knew of his resurrection, he believed that he was the Messiah, he trusted him, but he was not aware of what the Holy Spirit did and how he had come and now indwelt believers, even though the text implies Apollos was actually indwelt with the Holy Spirit. These disciples, it appears, are pre-crucifixion. They are John the Baptist's disciples. They've heard the message of repentance, and they repented, and they were baptized by the, John the Baptist, same way Jesus was. Uh, we presume the same way the disciples were, the Matthew, Mark, Luke, I mean, not Luke. Um, they were 12 disciples. Jesus called to help them. Anyway, you know the ones I'm talking about. Uh, those 12 disciples were baptized by John the Baptist, and here 
Paul tells them, you didn't have that? What were you baptized in? Verse 3, John's baptism, they said. Well, John's baptism was good. But John's baptism wasn't enough. The message you heard from John the Baptist was good, but it wasn't enough. Yes, repent, certainly, absolutely, but repentance is not salvation. Repentance does not guarantee anything. You can sling tears all day long over repentance of your sin, but never trust Jesus Christ for your salvation. Repentance tends to be, I got caught. Not always, but sometimes. You can repent and 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 never be saved. Until you repent and believe. It's one of our three circles. From brokenness to the gospel, repent and believe the gospel. Repentance is important, but it's only half of the equation. So he explains to him, he says, you know, that's what John baptized with, but that he was telling them they should believe in the one who would come after him, that is, in Jesus. And again, we assume, very abbreviated conversation here, he explained to them what he meant by believing in Jesus, and they believed. Verse 5, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. This is the only rebaptism in Acts. This is the only time someone had been baptized before and then uh, was rebaptized. The disciples, to our knowledge, as recorded, were never baptized after their baptism by John the Baptist. Uh, Apollos, just the passage before was not rebaptized. He was baptized into the baptism of John, but in this case, in his case, he was a believer. He had no visible gifts or uh, uh, showed no visible gifts like tongues or that sort of thing uh, when he was instructed about the Holy Spirit by Priscilla and Aquila. There's no pattern here. There's no, well, the Holy Spirit always does it this way. You know the one way the Holy Spirit always does it? His way. That's all. It's always something different. So as I said, repentance isn't enough for salvation, but belief with a Holy Spirit filling is what is necessary. Paul looked at him and said, yes, or looked at them, and said, yes, I see repentance. Yes, I see something, but I don't see a Holy Spirit. I don't see a belief in Jesus Christ. Well, that was awful judgy of Paul, wasn't it? Well, Paul makes clear in his letters, we are to judge other believers and judge their actions and judge their fruit. You can't judge me. If you're not a believer, you are correct. Paul says, what do I have to do with judging the world? My job is to judge, judge other believers. And we are supposed to do that. And that's what Paul was doing. He was hearing their testimony. Yes, we're disciples. Yes, we believe. Believe in what? And, let me, and he starts probing, and he finds they had, did not have the belief with a Holy Spirit filling. So what does that mean? Well, that means that the trappings of membership are a damning substitute for true salvation. The disciples had a lot of the clothing of church membership. But they were going to hell. It, their belief, their partial acceptance was just 
as damning as any non-acceptance by any pagan anywhere around the world. But they, they repented. They didn't believe. They were baptized. It was just a, it was just a thing. It was just, it was just, they just got dumped. They just got clean for a little while, physically. But there was nothing spiritually going on. What were you baptized into? How were you baptized? Where is the Holy Spirit empowerment in your life? We don't have it. You're not saved. That was the conclusion Paul came to. So spirit empowerment empowers true conversion. Secondly, spirit empowerment in the first half of verse 6 we see in Paul himself. When Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. Paul tells us, if, you're, if you come to Bible study on Wednesday nights, the, the, the mixed adult Bible study, we have ladies, we have a men's, and we have the mixed adult Bible study on Wednesday nights. If you come to it, we are working through Ephesians, and we've read recently how Paul tells us in Ephesians how he was empowered to share the gospel. It was his administration, it was his job to share the gospel, it was the, the spirit empowerment to do so. And there's there's a hint here in, in the first part of 19 that Paul is still having to prove himself to somebody. There's still somebody, or at the very least, if not Paul having to prove himself, Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, records this act so that he shows people Paul has the same Holy Spirit that all the other disciples did. Y'all, this is the same work. This is the same God. This is the same Jesus. This is the same salvation. This act, uh, act here in Acts chapter 19 is confirmation of the Spirit's role in Paul's work. The Holy Spirit is saying in a similar way to how when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, God spoke and the Holy Spirit descended. He is saying at this moment through Paul, yes, I am working through this man. It's quite a send-off, quite a beginning for the Ephesus church, the, the Ephesian church. This is going to be Paul's best mission work probably ever. First journey, second journey where he spent a lot of time in Corinth. He's going to be spending more time in Ephesus. There it records more miracles, more activity than in any other place. This is the pinnacle of Paul's mission work, and it begins with the Holy Spirit showing everyone around him, I have my hand on this guy. It confirmed him. But it didn't just confirm the Spirit's role in Paul's work. It, it connects him to others previously recorded in Acts by Luke. In uh, chapter 6, verse 6, the apostles uh, lay hands and the Holy Spirit comes on people. In verse eight, uh, chapter 8, verse 17, Peter and John lay hands on people and the Holy Spirit comes. Uh, when Peter preaches to Cornelius, the Holy Spirit comes without the laying of hands on the whole family, but you can see the, the power through Peter's preaching. Uh, and then Ananias in chapter 9, verse 17, when he prays for Paul and the scales come off of his eyes, and the Holy Spirit comes into him. This connects Paul to all of these guys. Luke's saying, 
you, you believe the apostles had the Holy Spirit, right? And they had the power. And, and you believe Peter and John had the power of the Holy Spirit. And even, even you believe the, the, the story, the message of how Paul can be saved and how Ananias put his hands on him and the Holy Spirit came through him. Well, look, the same Holy Spirit through Paul. And we can sometimes think Well, no, let me say this a different way. Empowerment is not connected to belief or baptism. You don't, be, you don't get rebaptized so you can be empowered. Michael, I've got a big task ahead of me. I'm, I'm going on a mission trip. I'm going to share the gospel with somebody. Could you baptize me again so I can get... No. Well, I need to, I need to trust Christ again to get, be empowered. No. Our empowerment is a daily thing. Our empowerment is based on our relationship right now. Paul's empowerment by the Holy Spirit was based on his connection to the Holy, the Holy Spirit. Your empowerment by the Holy Spirit is connected to your connection. Let me go back to what I said earlier. When you accept Christ and believe, you receive the Holy Spirit. You are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. But as He calls you, as He guides you, as He leads you, as you live the Christian life, as you uh, disciple others, as you witness, it is empowerment that you need. Not an indwelling, but an empowerment. And you don't get that. You don't return to your baptism for that you don't return to your conversion for that you return to the lord for that you say lord fill me and empower me in this situation so for you for me based on what happened to these disciples right here 6b and then verse 7 they began to speak in other tongues and to prophesy now they're about 12 men in all. So what does a spirit empowerment look like? We see it over and over and over through the New Testament. We see what the, the most visible gifts given, and we, we tend to, if we are more uh, Pentecostal or charismatic in persuasion, we tend to focus on tongues, and if we are more Baptist in persuasion, we tend to make sure we don't focus on tongues. But what we see throughout the New Testament is languages and prophecy. We see tongues, but as I read about the apostles in chapter 4, the, the, the Holy Spirit's filling showed up in what? Boldness. In telling people, sharing the word. No languages, no tongues, maybe not even prophecy in the way we would think of prophecy. And here we're not talking about foretelling, telling the future. We are talking about speaking up, thus says the Lord, speaking for God. That's the prophecy we're talking about. So in a sense, there are those that have that, but not everybody has that gift. But these guys get these two gifts. This event, this action right here, these 12 guys getting tongues and prophecy is really a conglomeration of multiple 
events that have happened throughout the books of, book of Acts. It, it, it's a coming together. It's more of that confirmation of, and, and, and Paul had plenty of opportunity to be prideful. He says that in some of his letters. It, it, it's a coming together of all the various works of the Holy Spirit throughout the Acts, leading up, uh, throughout the book of Acts, leading up to chapter 19, and suddenly kind of this mini explosion among these 12 guys of kind of everything that's happened so far. Michael, what are you talking about? Well, in Acts 2, we had Pentecost, the receiving of the Spirit. And there was visible proof of the receiving of the Spirit, but notice there was no baptism, no water baptism. In Acts 8, the Ethiopian eunuch, there's no mention of the Spirit. There's no visible proof of the coming of the Spirit, yet the Ethiopian eunuch was baptized. Acts 9, Paul received the Spirit before he was baptized. When Ananias laid his hands on him and the scales fell off his eyes and he said, Receive the Holy Spirit. He receives the Spirit. After that, he was baptized in water. And then there were no visible gifts recorded. No uh, tongues, no prophecy. Uh, doesn't even say anything about boldness, though Paul, he got the boldness, didn't he? Acts chapter 9, Paul, uh, rather, Acts chapter 10, Cornelius family uh, receives the Holy Spirit. Peter's preaching, and while he's preaching, the Holy Spirit comes on them, and they show visible gifts, but they hadn't been baptized yet. Everybody realizes they got the Holy Spirit, so we're going to baptize them. And the gifts were a necessary proof uh, in, a, in these Gentiles' conversion. So we see here in these 12 disciples a mixing of all of those different parts. We see the, the, the prophecy, the boldness, the tongues, the baptism, the coming of the Spirit, the laying on the hands. It's everything right here in this one little grouping of what the Holy Spirit has been doing all along. More confirmation of Paul, more, I think, confirmation to Paul. Paul, your work in Ephesus. Go back and read his letters, uh, his letter to Ephesus. And go back and read some of his other letters where he talks about while he was in Ephesus. It wasn't all sunshine and rainbows and unicorns in Ephesus. He talks about uh, fights. He talks about persecution. He talks about troubles and trials. And yet, if we just read chapter 19, it's, it's oh, wow, it's great. And that's how it begins. And that's how it is. This wonderful church is born in Ephesus. And it begins with this nucleus, this group of people, where the Holy Spirit shows out through Paul. Holy Spirit empowerment to you. These guys are now uniquely equipped to aid Paul in mission work. Tongues, languages, they can talk to anybody anywhere. Prophecy. They speak boldly the word of God. Holy Spirit indwelling, which obviously is necessary uh, to, uh, for salvation. Holy Spirit empowerment, which is obviously necessary to do the work of the believer. They all got it right here in these 12-ish, about 12 guys. Don't put too much stock in that 12. He's not replacing the disciples. It's just a number. 
It's believed that these about 12 guys became foundational to the church in Ephesus. That the church would not have grown the way it did. That it would not have been the pinnacle of Paul's mission work without these 12 guys. As a matter of fact, Ephesus becomes the epicenter for the Gentile mission. This is where Paul works from and this is where other church planters flow from to go and share the gospel. That is the spirit empowerment in you. When you receive Christ and you are indwelt and then when you rely daily, regularly on His empowerment in your lives, you become uniquely equipped to aid, to be on, to do mission work. You become uniquely equipped to live up to our abbreviated Great Commission, go and grow. That's where it comes from. It should lead, lead to some questioning on our parts. Again, let's, let's look at these guys. We don't see anything special. Apollos, we learn, was incredibly well-educated and a, uh, a wonderful speaker, uh, eloquent. Um, he had all of this training, all of this background, so he just needed a few tweaks in his theology and boy, he was gone, he was on fire, he was, he was trained, he was ready, and he was, he was going. These guys, they're so far behind, they can't see the rest of everybody. They're stuck pre-John the Baptist, or pre-crucifixion. They're stuck back in John the Baptist. Oh, oh you mean he was crucified? And, and, and you, you want to think like I did, how did these guys not know Jesus was crucified? Well, we're not in Jerusalem anymore, Toto. So that message isn't just spreading everywhere all by its lonesome. You've got a group that maybe they came from, who knows when they heard John the Baptist. You've you got a three-year span between when John started his ministry and, uh, or Jesus started his ministry and John's ministry was already going to the crucifixion, they could have been back here at this part or even before Jesus started his ministry and for whatever reason had to move to Ephesus. Who knows? But you think, how did they not know? People, there are people in Sulphur, Louisiana who do not know the name of Jesus. Oh, that's not possible. Yes, it is possible. It is not only possible, I will guarantee you there are people in our city who do not know the name of Jesus. If they do, it's a cuss word. But they can't put anything more than a continued expletive with it. They don't know his, the name of Jesus. They don't know who he is. And so these are guys that are right there. They knew the Messiah was coming. That's all they knew. And within moments, moments, they became the foundation of an incredible mission work in Ephesus and around the world. They became the foundation of a church. Oh, if we were Holy Spirit empowered. If we were Holy Spirit 
empowered. What could this church be? What could you be individually if you were Holy Spirit empowered? What could I be individually if I were Holy Spirit empowered? I'm not talking about filled. I'm not talking about indwelt. We got that at salvation. If we were empowered, if we were, as Ephesians says, uh, being continually being filled. Be continually being filled, Paul says. Be continually being filled. If we were being continually being filled, what would we be being as a church? Go grow. We would never have to even talk about go grow because we'd just be doing it. We would just be discipling and being discipled and, and making disciples and telling people about Jesus because when you are being continually being filled, that's what you do. How did Paul find these guys? We don't know. But because he was being continually being filled, he knew them when he saw them. And he said, here's an opportunity. Here's a mission entry. Here's a, a chance to share the gospel. So I ask you, are you Holy Spirit empowered some of you sit here with the damning trappings of membership you've got the baptism you've been water dumped your name's on a roll somewhere maybe even here you participate you do some things but it's just a title with no true faith and no Holy Spirit Michael you don't know that yeah I do it's in every church. It's not just here. There are people in every church whose names are on the roll who look like members, but I think Paul would ask some of us, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you were baptized? Has he indwelt you? A title with no true faith and no Holy Spirit. Some of you sit idly, Spirit-filled, spirit-indwelt, but with no empowerment. You're, you're, um, Albert Pujols. I don't care that much about baseball. Occasionally I have favorite players for a little while. Albert Pujols is one of them. Strong Christian man. Strong man. Crushes baseballs. Some of you are Albert Pujols sitting on the bench. Not because you've been put there, but because you're not empowered. You got the muscles, you got the appliances, but you're not plugged into the power. Oh, maybe, maybe you've got the appliances and you've got the power. Let's change the analogy a little bit. Electricity's coming to the house, but you ain't plugging nothing into it. I don't know why my refrigerator doesn't work. Plug it in. That's your life. You're indwelt, you're spirit-filled, and you sit idly by, daring the Holy Spirit to use you, quenching the Holy Spirit by your actions. And then some of you sit here charged, anticipating when God will use you to go grow the kingdom. God, I want to be used more. That was great. Use me more. 
Oh, that we would all be there. Y'all, I cannot emphasize enough, if that were all of us, if that were me, charged, anticipating when God would use me, what could this church do in our community? We are all Holy Spirit empowered. You have the opportunity to, to change that. While the Holy Spirit can be quenched by you, can be discouraged by you, He ever waits to empower you to do a work in you so that you can do the work in our Father's kingdom. Will you let Him do that? Will you say, I want to be empowered? Go back to the beginning, though, true conversion. You even have to be spirit-empowered to choose Christ. Nobody comes to Jesus unless the Spirit draw them. So this morning, we won't do it on our own. We won't come to Jesus because he's attractive, because, oh, I just want to be persecuted by the world. That's what I'm looking for. No, no, we don't come to that. We come to him because the Holy Spirit draws us and the brokenness of the world we live in. Sadly, sometimes we have to get to that point before we'll turn to him. When all else fails, pray. <laughs> uh, pre pre professor at uh, Southwestern was asked to come speak on a, at a conference called When All Else Fails, Pray. He said on one condition you change the title to pray before all else fails. This morning, pray before all else fails. Trust Christ before all else fails. Respond to the brokenness of this world by turning to the Savior that can fix the brokenness. You see, our, our, God's design for us, God's plan for us is, is perfection. It was perfection. It was what he planned in, in, in Genesis. And he has this plan for us. And we sin and we break that plan. We break his design. We ruin it. We mess it up. We quench the spirit. And, and he then... Uh, or, or we rather then live in this life of brokenness. Oh, if we could just fix these things. Oh, oh, everything's bad. Oh, everything. And, and, and it is. And we know what that brokenness looks like. And we live in this brokenness and we have every desire to fix it and we can't. Because there's no Holy Spirit empowerment. The only one that can fix it is God. And there's nothing in us. We are empty. We are without Him in this brokenness. So every plan and opportunity just makes it worse. And God knew that, and so in his design was a plan to save us through the gospel, through his son, Jesus, who died on the cross for our sins, was buried and rose again on the third day for our sins. According to the scriptures, that is the Jesus we serve. That's the Jesus that we talk about. It's the Jesus that promised the Holy Spirit to begin with. Jesus who lived a perfect life and says... Repent, don't stop there, believe. Repent and believe. Repent of your sins, turn from those, and believe in Jesus Christ. Believe in me, he says. Trust me, follow me. And when you truly believe, you receive the Holy Spirit. You are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And then that Holy Spirit empowers you to recover and pursue God's design. Part of that recovering and pursuing is to tell other people to go and grow 
That's the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. That's the evidence that Paul didn't see when he talked to these 12 disciples. So what's your decision this morning? What do you need to do? Do you need to accept Christ? The Holy Spirit's drawing you. I believe this morning the Holy Spirit's drawing you. And some of you may be sitting there thinking, I can't. I've been a church member for years. What are they going to think? Well, the Spirit-empowered people in this room are going to think, Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for saving people, even though they think they're already saved. Hallelujah, that you, Holy Spirit, work in lives and hearts that have been hardened, been inoculated against your gospel because of so much time spent going through motions. And who cares what the rest of everybody else thinks? And Maybe... This is the first time you've heard the gospel message and you need to respond to it. Maybe you're a believer who needs to hear the Holy Spirit whisper to you, let me in. And then you need to let him in. Pray with me. Father, thank you for this time to come before you, to let your Holy Spirit work on our hearts and our lives, to empower us, go, to grow, to be saved. And Lord, in these next few minutes, you work on hearts and lives here. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in this time of response, will you listen to the Holy Spirit? Whatever he has you to do next, do it. Don't fight. Don't quench. He may not call you again. He may not offer salvation again. He may not offer another opportunity to serve him, to go, to grow again. Don't tell him, though. Let's stand. Let's sing. And as the Holy Spirit works on your heart, you do business with God this morning.